Good day, everyone. Welcome to the first bonus episode of On Wednesdays. We spill tea. I hope you're thirsty. Yo, yo, yiggity, yo. Welcome to the first bonus episode of On Wednesdays We Spill Tea. Now, it's not Wednesday today. As a matter of fact, it is a lovely Monday afternoon, and I'm about to start getting ready to go and have dinner with one of my oldest friends who is right now in from Houston, Texas. So while my baby is napping, I figured I just might record a bonus episode. So, What I'm going to be doing with our bonus episodes is, you know, just whenever I have a strong opinion about something, I'm going to start recording an episode. So, you know, if you're really interested in what the content of the bonus episode is on, it's almost like having a conversation with someone about something you really, really want to fucking discuss. (laughs) Because ultimately, that's the reason that we are going to have bonus episodes and ultimately why I'm going to be doing them alone. Because... I don't know if you guys have ever tried to track down one of your friends to do something in such a small amount of time when they are adults and live their own busy-ass lives, and you are also an adult that lives an extremely busy-ass life. I just decided, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to go ahead and uh, rant and rave on my podcast about things that I feel very strongly about or I really want to talk about. So... What I'm going to be doing for today is I'm going to be doing this bonus episode on the first season of Cruel Summer. So Cruel Summer is a show that is um, supposedly on Freeform, but I haven't had cable since probably about 2006. So I watch Cruel Summer on Hulu. So the first season of Cruel Summer was one of my all-time favorite guilty pleasure shows because... Yes, it's very teeny boppery. It's very non-believable. It's very youth drama. But that element of mystery and just being like, oh my God, I have to see this through so I can see what the fuck is happening and who the fuck did this. Like, did she do it or did she not? I just, you know, I got to get that pent-up aggression out. So I feel like this is the perfect way to do it. So... I hope you are ready for some cruel summer tea because we're going to get right into it. And, um, but we'll be doing bonus episodes on TV shows, movies, books, things of that nature. I know for sure I'm going to do one on the ultimatum queer love once I have mapped out a few of my talking points and going to do one on, um, page boy by Elliot page, which is the book that I'm reading right now. Um, and I just have a few other things lined up. Probably going to do some Black Mirrors, because god damn. I rewatched it so I could watch the new season, and oh my god. Like, there are just some episodes that I need to talk about, but that new fucking season, especially one of the episodes in particular, oh my god. So, without further ado, we are going to get into Cruel Summer, season one.
All right, so I don't have a particular format I'm going to follow for every bonus episode. Um, so for Cruel Summer Season 1, what I'm going to do is name a fact slash talking point um, about the show that I did not like. And then I'm going to name something about the show that I did like. So the first thing that I highly disliked about this show starting out immediately was I absolutely fucking hate the cliche high school show roles. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Like, especially if you're a kid who grew up as a teenager, preteen in like the 90s, early 2000s, when you watch movies like She's All That and Jawbreaker and just stuff like that. The formula is, is that there is always a pretty girl that they somehow try to stick glasses on and somehow make unattractive. I hate that. The The pretty girl is either not as pretty or she's just as pretty as this girl that they're trying to make out to be ugly. And I really hate that. If you're going to try to have an ugly person on the show who's going to be treated like an ugly person, then cast a motherfucking ugly person. That's one thing that definitely gets on my nerves. Like, think back to, like, She's All That and, you know, just how they made Rachel Lee Cook out to be like she was unattractive when really she was prettier than the popular girl. I just thought Kate was a little more homely compared to Jeanette. And I just, that's one of my biggest pet peeves when it comes to the 90s formula. Also, um, I never feel like they make the guy who's supposed to be like the object of everyone's affection um, as a super hot dude. He always seems to just be like a regular looking guy that's just okay. And I'm like, are we trying to just really give it the real appeal of like a modern day high school because, I mean, you know, at my high school, a lot of the most popular guys were not the cutest. <laughs> there were some that were cute, but not all of them. So, I feel like as far as Jeanette's friends, I feel like they were kind of just watered-down versions of, you know, the best friends from Mean Girls. You know, you got Mal and uh, Vince. And, of course, it's the mouthy girl who doesn't care what anybody thinks about her. And then, you know, the gay friend. Now, even though Vince was, like, undercover secret gay, you know. And that's a, that's one topic that I always hate, too. Is I hate to even think about somebody having to hide that they're gay because of what other people will think. Especially in high school. It's a very sensitive spot for me, can, you know. Because my best friend went through it. And I watched him go through it. And he you know, ended up taking his own life. So that's always something that is just a sore spot for me and just something that I just absolutely hate to see in a show. And then we go to the thing that I liked about the show. So I love, 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 love the time flips, the way the timeline is perceived in this season of the show, how you've got the same day on three years and it's like they kind of show you what year you're in so you won't forget even if the main characters are not in the scene just by the way that it's shot and the mood and just the demeanor of all the people in the scene. And I just, I really love that. That's something that I haven't really seen in a show that's been pulled off as well. And if I ultimately think about it, that's really what drew me in was that setup. 
Um, I don't think I would have actually watched the show for longer than five or 10 minutes had I not been so interested to see, you know, what was going to go on and how they were going to continue to shoot it in this, like jumping around on the same day in a three year time span. I also really liked, um, you know, going with the time jumps. Um, I also really liked the innocence of her when she was 15 in 1993 um, I know that I can personally relate that when I was 15, I was a lot more innocent and immature than I was at 16. Now, I did lose my virginity at 15, but, you know, there was like a, a very noticeable difference between knowing me at 15 and knowing me at 16. I really liked that they made her grow up in the three years. Like, because I, I find a lot of shows when they are trying to do things in like an equated timeline that's like, okay, this is seven months down the road. This is two years down the road. I feel like it's always the same character through and through. They don't ever seem like they've grown up unless it's like an obvious thing where they're like a child actor and then all of a sudden it's turned around and being played by an adult. I mean, when it's like the same character playing the same person over the span of three years, usually you don't see like a very convincing grow up. But I just really like the way that they did um, that. When I was 15, I was undercover playing Barbies, like literally carting my Barbies in a tote um, that no one could see through, going down to my neighbor's house and locking her bedroom door and then turning around. And it probably would have looked to people like we were doing drugs when really we were just sneaking and playing Barbies. And then all of a sudden I had sex for the first time when I was 15. And I was like, well, I can't play with Barbies anymore. And so it's like, I felt like I had to force myself to grow up. And so I did try really hard to do that. But, you know, I do have ADHD severely. So my maturity definitely is not that of a normal person's maturity. Um, because I don't really feel like I really grew up until I was at least 32. But, you know, I'm sure we'll get there on a segment of the podcast if you haven't already picked that up in little pieces anyway. <laughs> But going into another part that I did not really like, I found it very unbelievable on how easily that Jeanette was just able to get popular and just slip into Kate's life. I mean, essentially, that's what she did. She put on some makeup and got her braces taken off and stopped wearing her glasses and got contacts. And all of a sudden, because Kate's missing, she can be best friends with her best friends. And then she can take her boyfriend. And then she's just living her life other than being fucking fabulously rich, like it seemed like Kate's family was. Because, I mean, you know, everybody knew who that family was. But, you know, I just really hated how easy it was. And especially speaking of how easy things were, um, that was unbelievable and that I didn't like, I also really hated how easy it was for Ashley to go into a chat room as an anonymous chatter and then immediately get Kate to talk to her and just trust her to where she would tell her every single secret. Now, I mean, I get it. I was around for the AOL times, you know, I've spoke before on how, you know, a vulnerable teenager left alone with her own devices on the internet can be. But why on earth, if you were in the middle of a serious lawsuit, that you were accusing somebody of something pretty horrific, and especially once that Jeanette Turner, you know, did the um, 
the defamation lawsuit. Like, why would you continue to just spill all your secrets online? Like, and I mean, how did Ashley know where to find her? Like, what her screen name was? Or what chat room she was in? I mean, it, there's a whole World Wide Web. How do you go to just one and know automatically who she is? That just, because it seemed to be her first time in a chat room when she just all of a sudden found Ashley. And I'm just like, how does that work? Like, that's seriously not believable in the least. Going to the next thing that I did really like, it kind of goes hand in hand with the first thing I really liked, which is I absolutely love the darkness and the murkiness of the year 1995, which is when, you know, Jeanette's cut all her hair off. She's been accused of committing this horrific crime and leaving Kate um, after she's being kidnapped, supposedly knowing all along that she's been locked away. And I just feel like this is the most realistic part of the show. Because I feel like if everyone in your town, especially like your really small town in Texas, no less, believed you did something this horrific, I really do believe the fallout would be pretty drastic. Because, you know, everybody's so nosy in this town. Just like, you know, if you were to do something like that in Bristol, here where I live, like, I feel like the fallout would, would be pretty much close to the same. Like, you would just be blacklisted from everything. People would hate you. Like, there's no telling what some of these rednecks would do to you. It's just, that was what I found to be the absolute most believable part of the show. Hated this girl. And, like just outcasted her and her entire family to a point where she felt like she had to drop out of school and her dad lost his real estate business, which relies heavy on your reputation and your relationships with the town that you're trying to sell homes in. You know, a small town, you really rely on recommendations, things of that nature. You can't really do that when everybody in the town hates you. I mean, because what they would do in Bristol is be like, don't go to this real estate agent. You'll never believe what their daughter did. And, I mean, especially the person that is placing blame on Jeanette is Kate. And she is the daughter of such a powerful social status couple in the town. So, it brings me to an experience I had in high school of how, you know, a rumor can pretty much kill your social status. I didn't really have much of a social status at my high school, but, you know... People left me alone, left me to my own devices. You know, nobody really cared. I didn't really get bullied um, at first. It was just pretty decent. But when I was in 11th grade, I had broken up with my on and off again boyfriend that I had for two years in high school. He didn't go to my high school, by the way. He was in college. But so this guy was a football player. And you know me, if you've seen me or you've listened to a former episode of the podcast, you're going to know that I'm not sporty in the least. I don't do sports. I don't do anything like that. Like I'm just a girl that just wants to be left alone and not made to run unless I'm literally running for my life. <laughs> uh, you know, I wasn't chubby in high school like I am now, but still, I, I've just never been athletic, never wanted to run, never wanted to do a whole lot of physical anything. But so this guy, um, I'd had a crush on him since I moved to the school when I was in 10th grade. He was kind of cute, but you know, I have questionable tastes most of the time, so... <laughs> Um, he was in my math class and so he was very flirty 
And he would kind of flirt with me and I never understood why he was flirting with me because he was in one of those like couples, I guess, like you could say, like kind of like Kate and Jamie about how they were such a well-known couple in that high school. He and his girlfriend had been dating. I don't know. I didn't get there till my sophomore year, but they'd been dating the whole time I was there by this point as a junior in high school. And he would always flirt with me and act like, you know, nothing was of it. Like he was just being super nice. Well, so back in the day of 2002, 2003, whenever this took place, you know, you passed notes back then. I don't know if the kids in school are still passing notes these days, but you pass notes. He was literally passing me notes, being very flirty. And then all of a sudden out comes the question of, do you have a boyfriend? And I'm like, well, no, my boyfriend broke up with me. And he's like, oh, well, what do you know? My girlfriend just happened to have just broken up with me too. So he asked me what I'm doing over spring break, yada, yada, yada. And then he's like, well, we should hang out during spring break. And here little me is who has, you know, at that time was like, oh, well, no boys in high school have really ever paid attention to me. It's just been college boys, which now I'm proud of that. But... <laughs> So I'm like, oh, okay, super cool. You can come over to my house. And he lived in a trailer park down the street from my house, which should have been the red flag there. Nothing wrong with people living in a trailer, but he was definitely the equivalent of what you call trailer trash, which is not everyone, but it was definitely him. So, and of course, my sister had just gotten like a little webcam for Christmas. So she's following him around um, with this video camera. And so it's there's definite footage of him in my home. I also kept all of the notes because I was treasuring them because I'm weird and I like to hang on to weird things. Um, I don't have sentimental value on a lot of things that I should, but on things that I shouldn't, I definitely keep like a fucking hoarder. I've had to clean out my stashes of shit and just not even look at it and throw it away so many times because I'll be like, well, no, it's too precious. What if I need this? So when we go back to school, one of my best friends in high school was a girl um, who did cosmetology with, guess who? This guy's ex-girlfriend's best friend, if you follow me. So I tell her, I'm so excited. I come back to school and I'm like, oh my God, look at this. And I show her the note and that he had written me that day talking about how he had so much fun messing around with me. And so she goes and she's concerned and because she's friends with this girl and tells this girl about what this guy was doing to her best friend because she knew they weren't broken up. She didn't tell me this because she wasn't trying to bust my bubble. She thought she was confidentially telling the best friend about the situation and that she would just, you know, low key tell her friend. That is not what happened at all. So before I knew it, there was this rumor out about me that I was a disgusting, skanky girl that was lying about a member of the football team. And he made my life a living hell. He told everyone that I was lying. Um, you know, of course, this was before I provided the proof to his girlfriend. Uh, hashtag always keep the evidence if something seems too good to be true, because it probably is. And he was saying that I was so gross, he'd never touch me, and almost everybody believed him. And he got into an argument with his girlfriend over this and even punched a window out at our school. And it was just the whole big talk. 
And I was like, yeah, that was over me. <laughs> but, you know, so at my junior prom, which was like about a month and a half later, I, I thought it had died down pretty much after I screamed at him in math class and told him to go to hell and walked out. But at my junior prom, me by that point, me and my on and off again high school boyfriend had gotten back together and we were dancing um, at the prom and this guy's girlfriend had got back together with him and just comes over right in the middle of prom and is like, you need to apologize to her. And he's like acting like a toddler about it. Mm-mm, no way, I ain't apologizing. And then finally he goes, God, I'm sorry, okay? And then walked off. And then of course I just collapsed into my friend's arms and cry because, you know, I was an emotional 16 year old at the time. I caught a lot of hell for that shit. And most people to this day don't know that he finally admitted to lying and to that being the truth. And a lot of the people didn't get to see the actual proof that I provided to his girlfriend either. But she believed me and that was what was important. She knew I wasn't trying to do anything bad to her and that I wasn't making it up. That he was literally taking advantage of somebody he thought nobody would believe. Because I guess he thought I was fucking stupid. But... (laughs) You know, he made me cry in public, and for that, I never forgave him for. So what if it was a stupid high school thing? Um, So, I saw him in Walmart years later. Of course, I told you, he's the definition of trailer trash. So, he's balding, chubby. His wife's like, looks like something you find roaming one of the downtown areas of your state. And she just looked rough. They both did. And, you know, it was one of the finest times of my life, look-wise. It was when I wore makeup every day. My hair was fixed. It was long. It was beautiful. I was thinner. I was looking good. And so, of course, I do the whole... I took pride in doing the whole, um, Oh, my God, you look so familiar. Do you remember me? Routine. Oh, my God, I wish you could have seen his face. In conclusion, I just love the raw hopelessness of these dark times in 1995. You just don't know whether to feel more sorry for Jeanette or for Kate. Because, you know, you don't really know who's telling the truth and who's lying. Or, you know, or what the situation truly is. Because it's just a she said versus she said kind of thing. And I kept switching off who I thought was the real victim of the show in watching the season. Turns out neither of them, really. But... Well, Kate, but you know what I'm saying. So, and then going back to um, the next thing that I didn't like about the show. I don't like how Jeanette's mom just up and abandons her family. Yeah, I'm not opposed to her getting um, a career. I'm not opposed to her leaving her husband. None of that. But just the sheer way that she just bails on her family in the time when they really need her the most... And especially when she just decides she's just going to go off and be a flight attendant and travel the world and get to do all these things while the rest of her family is literally just wasting away in this cloud of just darkness because nobody really knows who the mom is. She's free to travel. She's free to do what she wants. But, you know, meanwhile, the dad's life has been ruined. Jeanette's life has been ruined. And she's just off traveling the world, just having a good old time like nothing really ever happened. And for that, I just, I really just don't like it. I feel like her mom just gave up on her and just assumed she's guilty right off the bat. 
And so their family dynamic just changes so drastically from what you see at the first of the season. If it were me, I would stand behind my child if he really kept saying he didn't do it. I mean, you want to believe that your child didn't do something or sometimes there's evidence like, you know, circumstantial evidence. It's not direct proof that implicates your child, but it means that he could have possibly been involved or, you know, something like that. But I would stand behind my child if he kept like hysterically saying he was not involved or he didn't do it. Um, because I mean, what's sad is that, you know, the young bartender girlfriend seems to believe in Jeanette more than her own parents. And let's just face it, young, attractive, or late 20, early 30s dad girlfriends normally are not really all that interested in their boyfriend's mean-ass, spooled teenagers. I mean, unless there's a ton of convincing evidence, I could just never give up on my child like that, much less leave my children and spouse alone to just rot in this cloud of just terror. Because, I mean, essentially their lives have been just ruined by these accusations because the town is just so angry. And the straw that seemed to break the camel's back with her mom was that fucking cheap-ass necklace that her ex-best friend gave to her. Like, oh, she loved that necklace. Yeah, bitch, it's a year later. She's 16, she's having sex, and she's not friends with them anymore. Deal with it. (laughs) But she stopped wearing that necklace when she started maturing and wearing makeup and had a boyfriend and popular friends. And she wasn't friends with Mao anymore. So... That's just what really gets me about the whole situation. And, you know, my family isn't even as happy as that fam- as the Turner family seemed to be. Like, they were all gathering in Jeanette's room every year as a tradition to wake her up for her birthday and do all these specialized things. And, you know, it's just, my family never did that. But you know what? I know my family would sure as hell be standing behind me. Not my dad, obviously. He's not really in my life. But my mom would. My grandmother would. They seem like such a strong family, and I just don't believe that they would really break that easily under the pressure. If so, her mom's a piece of shit human. And I mean, Vince is just a friend she stopped hanging out with, and he still has zero doubts that she's telling the truth, and her own mom doesn't believe her. She lost the necklace in the house a while before Kate was claiming she saw her. Or a while before she actually saw Kate. Now Kate, I guess, believes that she saw her that day, when really we know it wasn't her. And while we're on the topic of this damn necklace, I still just don't get the rush that she's continuously getting breaking into this seemingly poor man's house. Like, you know, before you realize what kind of human turd Martin is, like, he seemed like a pretty solid dude. And I'm just like, why do you keep breaking into his house and stealing his shit? Like, if I caught that bitch in my house, I'd be like, girl, get the fuck out. Like, or I'm going to fight you. I don't care how close we are. If you're breaking in my house when I don't know that you're in my house and you're stealing even the smallest shit from my house, I'm going to be pissed. Like, why are you breaking in? It's just creepy and stupid. Why the obsession with it, Jeanette? It just makes zero sense to me. So, on to the next thing that I really liked about this show. On the other side of the coin, it's I liked that, you know, they did change the dynamic of the relationships. Um, it's not really unusual for a person in high school to get in a different, a different social group and start avoiding 
they're not cool friends, you know? Like, when you're in high school and you are actually a person that actually gives a damn about what other people think about you, it's not unheard of for you to shed friends that may not be cool or may not fit into your life um, now that you've matured um, or they may not have the same interests in you. Like, you know, people outgrow friends all the time. Um, so I, I really thought that that was a good, believable point of the show is, you know, you do outgrow your friends. Uh, I mean, even my closest friend in middle school outgrew me when we approached ninth grade because she became sporty and made popular friends. And I mean, we were thick as thieves. Like her family was my family and vice versa. Like I loved her so much. I used to, you know, pretend like I missed the bus every day just so I could go hang out at her house. And, you know, I spent my summers there in middle school and you know it's just like her family was my family I took care of her baby brother and changed diapers and all that shit and you know she outgrew me and at first it was hard for me to understand and and then I understood I mean this stuff just happens now I'm gonna get into the whole thing of Martin like it's kind of a two-parter on this last thing that I really don't like one is why the fuck did the detective call Martin who was just the assistant principal to let him know that a student was missing. You know, Kate's sitting in his living room and he's like, well, you're officially a missing person. And you know, on the phone, all he says, oh, I'm so sorry. Yes. Thank you. And I'm just like, you know, I can understand the next day at school, you know, the police is coming out to the school office, maybe talking to the principal and vice principal and there you know, and the teachers and stuff like that. But why would the detective just randomly call just the assistant principal? Like, are you phoning all the girls' teachers that night as well to say that she's officially a missing person? I mean, I could see if Kate's mom had called him since she had talked to him that day in his office. But I mean, a detective calling him, it just made no sense. But the biggest thing of what I disliked about this show is what the fuck did Kate and Martin think they were going to do did they just think that Kate was literally going to secretly live in his house for two years and that she was just never going to fucking see or speak to her family or friends again and that they were just going to run away and that Kate was just going to disappear from everyone's life like she was fucking dead like that makes no sense I mean I know she's a 16 year old kid but even as a dumbass 16 year old kid when I was 16 I would have never just assumed that I could have ran off with my college boyfriend when my mom told me that I couldn't see him anymore and like outlawed me from ever seeing him again. I would not have been like, okay, well, I'm going to run away tonight. You're going to come and pick me up and then I'm going to go to your apartment and I'm going to stay there until the day I turn 18. Is that cool with you? And then, you know, after that, I'm going to just leave behind my entire family um, all my friends, everything that I have ever owned and everything, all relationships I've ever built in this town. I'm just saying, fuck it. And I'm going to leave with you and you're going to whisk me away somewhere and no cops are ever going to find us or ever going to recognize us. And you're never going to get charged with kidnapping me if they find us after I'm 18. Like fucking get real. Did they seriously just think they could carry this weird prison relationship on forever? I mean, it's just definitely the most unbelievable factor of this entire show. This 16-year-old child was the one that questioned their bubble. Not the grown-ass man. She's the one who keeps 
you know, worrying about what's going to happen, what's going to happen in their future, um, what's going to happen when they leave their bubble, you know, what's going to happen here, what's going to happen there. Like, why was it not the grown-ass man who could be facing fucking jail time that's asking these questions? Why is he not the one that's sitting up worried before she was imprisoned in the basement? Like, that's, that's what I want to know. Why is an immature little 16-year-old the one that's questioning your entire future? Also having to do with Martin, how is it that they're able to say that he died in a fucking shootout when really Kate shot him in the basement? If there was no open police fire, he was shot down in the basement when cops were not down there with him. It wasn't on the front lawn. It wasn't anywhere where they could have had a shootout. And the police were just literally just chalking it off to, oh, it was a police shootout. Nobody ever thought to question it. What? I mean, could you not have done some more true crime research to make that part a little more believable? Or, I mean, why not just say, point blank, that Kate shot him? And it's like, died between a shoot-off with the victim. I mean, obviously, he kidnapped her and imprisoned her in the basement. I would shoot his ass, too. Like, why did she have to lie, and why did the cops have to mask it as a fucking police shootout? It didn't even, like, have the quality of... Oh, well, her powerful daddy is the one that slipped money to the cops to make them say that it, she, he died of a police shootout. Like, Kate fucking shot him, and nobody ever acknowledges that. And if you murder somebody, I can guarantee you, guarantee you, somebody is going to notice that. While we're on the subject of Martin, Martin was for sure grooming Kate. Like, I wanted to like Martin, um... And, you know, you're trying to remind yourself that he is a grown-ass man and she's a 16-year-old kid while you're watching this in the early stages of their romance because you just want to almost kind of be like, oh, how cute. And then you're like, wait a second, this guy's a pedophile. He's most definitely grooming this young teenage girl. And it's sickening. Like, it made me feel like the most disgusting person ever. Because I'm like having to remind myself, Christy, this is probably like a 30-some-year-old man and a 16-year-old girl. And you're like, ooh, fucking gross. But, I mean, he did seem like a nice guy other than that. He probably was a nice guy other than the pedophile thing, which, you know, does fully ruin a human being. But, I mean, he was for sure the adult in the situation, and he for sure was taking advantage of a child. And, you know, it just goes to show you that pedophiles can be nice seemingly genuine and respectable members of society you just really never know what's going on behind closed doors but so now I'm going to come to the last thing of what I loved and that was there were a few characters that I truly loved about this show I just want to first say how much that I loved Kate's dad He just seems like such a great dad, you know, loving Kate as his own child, like becoming upset with Kate's mom because he doesn't feel included as her biological father um, because he knows he's not blood. He knows he's not her biological dad. But, you know, if Josh and I were to ever get divorced, even though he's not biological dad, Josh has been there for when his own dad has not been able to, you know, and it's just... It takes a man to step in and raise someone else's child and to be a good dad and be a good provider and love them as their own child. Because believe me, I've been in relationships before. Um, I was very weary about my son 
you know, when I was in the dating world. It was just so many things. If I didn't feel like they didn't have a connection, if I didn't feel like my child liked them, or they didn't like my child, or it was just not going to be a seamless, um, cohesive environment, I just got rid of them. Just because who you date as a, a parent after you divorce or separate from that child's father or mother, it's, it's on you. It's on you what you bring around your child. It's just like, as a mother of a child from a previous marriage, I just found, saw the importance of finding a man that loved my son as his own. And I think that's something you have to do for your child. You have to put your kid first in literally everything you do, which is why I think having kids are not for the faint of heart or for the selfish. If you're not willing to sacrifice your own happiness for something you love that much, you should not have kids or date a person seriously with a child or children if you don't think you could ever love them as your own. And that's so important. I also really loved Jeanette's dad's bartender girlfriend. When she looked at Jeanette when they were like singing or whatever. And she's like, why are you doing this for me? And his girlfriend just looks at Jeanette and says, you deserve kindness. I was literally like, oh my God. <laughs> it was so sweet. I get really emotional with things like that and with believable characters like that like and I don't really have a dad connection with my real father you know it's just I'm just one of those women who just don't really have a dad in their life um that's why I think that I have such a good close relationship with my husband's parents now is because they treat me like their own child and where my mom is busy raising my sister's children and my dad is busy just living his own life with me not really in it um, I think that I seek, you know, their approval and their love because I seek, um, a, a family, like a stable family. And even though I know my mother loves me very, very, very much, I just, you know, I need that consistency in a family and that's what I want to make sure to provide for my children. Also, when we're speaking on people that I love, I love Jeanette's brother, um, the brotherly love and care he has for her. Her brother is like the only one that believed in her like so hard. Like even her dad was doubting her and even her dad had a changed relationship with her. But I feel like her brother is the one that stuck by her side the most as far as not wavering or discounting her story not one bit. He he seriously believed in her. And like when he was talking to Ashley at the playground. When he was like I just don't believe Jeanette would lie. Like that about something. This series. And I just really like that. And then the final character of who I loved the most was. I fucking love Vince. Vince was just the sweetest. Most innocent. Most what I would want in a best friend um, in high school. Because he was just such a good guy. And I just felt so bad for him because I feel like he's so innocent and everything that can go wrong for him just does. And it's also really painful for anyone to have to hide a part of themselves in fear of what other people think. And you know that, again, I said that earlier, it just really bums me out because I don't think about it because I'm a privileged person to where I don't have to feel weird or feel bad um, or not be myself. I've been myself since I was a child, like a small child. And I've never really strayed away from it. I've never had to hide any part of myself. You know, I identify as pansexual, but I don't really say that out loud. I don't base my interest 
uh, in a person based on whether they're male or female. It's just by what type of person they are. I've, you know, dated women, I've dated men, but you know, I've never had to feel the guilt or the shame of being who I am because, you know, I'm just very, even though my family life is kind of broken, it's good to say that I've never had to hide who I am. And so it really pains me for people just thinking that they're ever in that predicament. But I just hate that being gay is such a stigma, especially in the small towns like, you know, that town in Texas where Cruel Summer takes place, especially like in the small town that I live in, you know, in just a lot of areas. Like I literally got called a groomer for doing a podcast episode um, on this actual podcast on RuPaul's Drag Race. Being like, okay, so I'm getting a hater. I'm being called a groomer. I've officially made it as a podcaster. I got my very first hate mail. (laughs) And I think it's funny. I mean, I don't think it's funny that people seriously believe in that shit. But I just, I think it's funny when people try to heckle me over shit. Because you're not going to get under my skin. You're not going to bother me. And you're not going to shut me up or make me stop. I did. And one of the most magical scenes of this entire um, series was... The little gay bar scene between Ben and Vince when they were dancing to fade into you. And let me just sidebar shout out to my girl Raja O'Hara as the drag queen bartender in that scene. <laughs> loved it. Um, and I also fucking loved the soundtrack. Almost all of the music other than the music that they were playing for Jeanette in her like rage stage. Um all of that music was so good and so perfectly matched up to the timeline that they were recreating. So bravo on the soundtrack. But my end theory on this show is almost all of the main characters of the show are somehow shitty people. All in their different ways. I mean, you know, Mal started out being someone that I saw myself in. And then all of a sudden she just really showed her true colors as she just became a big bitter bitch you know the only I mean I've mentioned the only people I think that are really pure in this show but almost all of the characters in the show are shit are somehow shitty people but they also somehow make you feel sorry for them at least once during the season um with the exception of Rod who's Kate's dad and Vincent um those angels are too good for Skylin and it's people But what made this entire show pay off in my eyes was that motherfucking twist. When Jeanette is talking to Kate and Kate is telling Jeanette the story of how she knows that she saw her. And then when Jeanette like looks at Kate very intently, locks eyes with her and makes the most dramatic eye contact. And she's like, that's not my bike. It's Mallory's. Oh my fucking God. Uh, it was so crazy. I literally almost threw up because all of a sudden my anxiety was through the roof because I did not see that coming. Like did not. Usually I can make proper predictions. A lot of times they're true. In this case, it was not true. And then, you know, Mallory's su- supposed touching story of her telling Kate about why she never told her, still shows what a bitch she is by not doing anything about watching Jeanette, by watching them turn Jeanette's life into a fucking shit show. 
I mean, like, they literally lost everything they had. Their respect. Jeanette dropped out of high school. Like, Jamie punched her in the face. Like, there was just so much that this family lost. And Mal just sat by and watched it happen. And never said anything. And then, like, whether what she said is true or not about that she didn't know that was Kate. She never said anything. She still let them ruin her fucking life. And then when you think it's over, there is a second fucking twist. That bitch really had heard her screaming and didn't fucking tell anyone. Oh my god. That eye contact with the camera and that fucking little smile right before it fades to black. Oh my god. So even though what Kate thought was when she saw her, and that was not the time she saw her, and she feels so terrible, all of her and Jeanette's life, like, Kate feels so terrible, and you're just like, yeah, see, you didn't know the whole story. And then when that bitch fucking turns around and grins, and you know that she saw her, oh my god, I cannot believe it. Can, I, I just could not believe it. So, she was guilty the whole time. Even though I felt so terrible for her and was just so upset and for her. And that they just basically ruined her life. And she never wavered from saying that she didn't do it. And then all these events take place. And then she'd fucking really seen her. Just bonkers. But... That's all the time we got for today as my baby is up from her nap. So, I hope that you will keep listening and that you are going to enjoy our bonus episodes. And I hope you enjoyed our first one on Cruel Summer Season 1. And um, I have started watching Cruel Summer Season 2, but um, I am not feeling it so far. So, I don't know if I'm going to continue to watch it. I usually don't force myself to watch things unless I am find any kind of joy or interest in the story. And I've kind of lost interest kind of quick. But, and I hope you look forward to my next bonus episode, which is most likely going to be The Ultimatum Queer Love, Season 1. So, I hope you will subscribe to the podcast and keep supporting us. Get those listens up on Spotify, so hopefully we can get a sponsorship! But thank you for coming and listening to my tea. Tea.